God, would you cause dead hearts to awaken? Lord, would you invite those who feel distant from you to come to you? Lord, may they desire that. Lord, would you invite us to worship you with everything that we are, that we would see you as our God, that, we'd see, that we would see you as our Savior. And so, Lord, this morning we're just, we're just asking that you would do something incredible here. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment. We know that you're here already, but God, we invite you into this moment to awaken us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Man, good news. Uh, the uh, mask mandate is going away on Friday, so we will no longer have to wear masks in large gatherings, right? <laughs> Praise Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it's the second time I've been able to use that joke. So uh, you're welcome for that. They, uh, they make it easy here in Oregon. So... Uh, my name is Matt Porter. I'm the lead pastor of Outward Church. Uh, I'm normally at our other location, which is in Salem. So if you don't know who I am, uh, that, is, that is who I am. I'm uh, privileged to be uh, here and be a part of it. Tim is my brother. He was just up here a little bit ago um, talking, doing the welcome. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, uh, we're in the book of Luke, and uh, we're going to be talking through what it looks like to be saved by Jesus. And this morning, what I want to ask you is this. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Now think about that for a second. No, really, are you a Christian? What, 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 com what comes to mind? Have you been saved by Jesus? Are you truly a believer in Jesus Christ? That's the question that gets answered here, I believe, in this passage. And there's a lot of answers to uh, in our culture today, as to what it looks like to be uh, a Christian. We have in the news today, like uh, this, this percentage of uh, Christians or Christian evangelicals supported uh, the Republican nominee, who will remain nameless here. Uh, that, that's what evangelicals do. They, they vote this way. That's, that's what it means to be a Christian. What else does it mean to be a Christian? I don't know. You see someone on the street corner yelling at people. You, you, you've had a bad experience with someone who's a Christian at some point. Uh, maybe if you're, you don't claim to be a Christian. You've, you've experienced judgmentalism. You've experienced all kinds of things. What does it mean to actually be a Christian? What does that look like? There is uh, so much confusion around that. Jesus brings clarity. The word of God brings clarity to what it actually means to be a Christian. Moments ago, earlier in this passage, a passage that was preached on last week out here in, in Salem, Jesus has just said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That has taken place. His garments were uh, d divided. You know, they, they passed his garments around, that kind of thing. And here Jesus is. He is hanging on a cross and he is in between two thieves or two criminals. He is being crucified unjustly in between two people who are justly being crucified. And so here we have Jesus, and there's a conversation that happens here. There's lots of conversation that's happening here, and some of it really resembles what's happening in our culture today. So it says this in Luke 23, verse 35. 
It says, and the people stood by watching. There's some people who are watching. They're kind of on the sidelines. They're sitting there and they're kind of going, all right, what's, uh, what, what's happening here? How do I judge this? What's, what's taking place? What should I think about this? What should I think about this guy? Jesus, what, is it, what does this actually mean? So there's some people who are watching. They're kind of undecided. And then you have the rulers who scoffed at him. The rulers are the religious rulers. Here are these religious elites. You might say that they're pretty right-wing. They are pretty right-wing, and they are here, and they are scoffing at Jesus. They're yelling insults at him and so forth. So you've got some religious people saying, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, uh, if he's the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him. Who are the soldiers? The soldiers are these uh, people who are a part of Rome. These are secular people. This is the left, if you will. They are sitting here, and they are also scoffing at Jesus, and they're yelling things at him. And I I would imagine that you've got a Pharisee or somebody who's from the religious elite, a right-wing guy who's standing here yelling things at Jesus. Then you got this other guy who's right here. He's a Roman soldier, and he's yelling things at him, and, and they're finally like, we agree on something. Like, this is amazing. Like, what's happening? Oh, yeah, we both hate him. Let's, let's yell more things at him. This is so unusual in this day and age for these people to agree on something isn't that weird for these two people to actually agree on who this guy is coming up and offering him sour wine and saying if you are the king of the jews save yourself there was also an inscription over him this is the king of the jews now what's taking place here is in some ways similar to what i believe is happening in our society What's happening in our society and in our, our nation today is that we have uh, right and left who typically fight, but there, I believe that there's something that's taking place today, and that is that we have the right and the left that are fighting, and they are in some ways, maybe even unwittingly, mocking Jesus, mocking who Jesus is. And I'll just say this as an aside almost, and that is that, man, when, when Jesus comes to town, when Jesus brings truth, it oftentimes does not really always agree with either left or right. In fact, most of the time, it doesn't agree with left or right. What you have is you have uh, the left and the right that are aligned against Jesus oftentimes. And so this is pretty interesting here that we see this happening. Now we go into a conversation that has uh, that is only explained in the book of Luke. This conversation is, is talked about in the book of Luke. Uh, and so it says, it says this. One of the criminals who were hanged, uh, one of the criminals who were, uh, who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now what's interesting about that is that in the book of Matthew and the book of Mark, it says something a little bit different. It says, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Both were reviling him in that moment. Both of these criminals. So what we have here is we have the crowd right and left who are down here. And they are yelling at Jesus. They're yelling at him and they're saying, yeah, uh, save yourself. If you really are the king of the Jews, you should just be able to save yourself. And then you have both of these criminals who Matthew and Mark both believe was actually, were actually joining in on this. So we have 
all of these people who are sitting here and who are criticizing, yelling, scoffing, mocking Jesus. And here we have these two criminals. But what happens here at the end is quite interesting. What happens at the end is that Jesus says, Today you, the nice criminal, will be with me in paradise. Now how do we go from somebody who's joining in with the crowd, who's a mocker, who's saying, if you're so great, if you truly are the Christ, then you should be able to save yourself. How does somebody go from, from, from that posture and within minutes, his posture is completely changed? How does this happen? Well, it's actually kind of interesting. It's interesting because of this, because many times people believe, you know what, I, I, uh, I have a relationship with God, I can come to God, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with him, I'm, 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 a, I'm about him, that kind of a thing. But the truth is that they don't, they, they don't really have relationship with him. What they have is they have this give and take type of relationship where they say, you know what, I've been a pretty good person. I've done things pretty, pretty well in my life. I've helped people. I've done this, I've done that. Maybe you're one of those people here today where you say, you know what, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Why wouldn't I be a Christian? I'm somebody, I, I like the church. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you don't go to church very often, but you're somebody who is, who, uh, you're like, you know what, I, I still subscribe to that. I vote this particular way. And so that's, that, that, that really is the summation of what makes me a Christian. But the truth is, is that when you see the situation where you see somebody who just moments earlier was joining in with the crowd, was, was, was uh, entering into the very same thing, they were, they were sitting there and they were, they were saying the same things, and then all of a sudden something changes? See, salvation is something that is absolutely supernatural from beginning to end. Salvation is something that happens as a work of God. Now, how does this work take place? What happens here? Well, something happened. Something happened in those moments on the cross because it seems like somebody heard this thief say what he said. And then something changed. Perhaps, and this is what commentators suggest... Perhaps he was sitting there railing, reviling, scoffing, mocking Jesus. Sitting there yelling at Jesus. And maybe he just heard something faintly from Jesus where Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Imagine you're him for just a moment. The common response to being reviled, to being mocked today, as we all know, is that, that we would respond with mockery. Those are the, the commentators that we like to watch because they're so good at mocking. They're so good at mocking. I, I got to be honest with you. I love to see those people talk and just run circles around the opposite political opinion. I, I, I love that. But that's not the way that Jesus responds. Jesus responds and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
So he's sitting here. He's been sitting here, and, and, and he realizes, like, th- this guy is different. This guy has done something that's completely opposite to, to my natural inclination. He's sitting here, and the people who have done the worst thing in the world to him, and by the way, the worst thing ever, he's sitting here and he's just going, if there ever was a reason to actually lash out, if there ever was a, a something that would drive you to yell insults back, it would be this moment, it would be this time, it would be this place. But he sits there, and somehow this criminal sees something different. And I don't know what happened. Did he sit there and just go, oh my gosh, he still is forgiving people while he's on the cross. I wonder if he began to think to himself, oh man, if he can forgive these people, what does he think about me? If he can forgive the, the vilest person in the world who's doing the worst thing in the world to him, what would he do with me? He begins to ask himself these questions. He begins to think through, like, what, what does that mean for me? If he, maybe he really is God. But then he, be, he begins to, to think to himself. He knows about the miracles that he's performed. He knows about the people that have followed him. Everybody in this city, everybody uh, for miles around knows who Jesus is and what he's been about. They've been talking about him for a long time. He was probably walking along with Jesus as he was going through the town square. He might have even heard Jesus' little sermonette to uh, these women when Jesus basically said, listen, uh, don't worry about me. What you need to worry about is yourself. Don't cry for me. Cry for yourself. He's sitting there and, and he's recounting these things to himself as he's going, man, I guess that's true. That's not just a one-off. It's like he also did that in that moment as he was walking through the crowd and people are yelling insults and spitting on him. And here he is bruised and bloodied and broken and here is this guy, Jesus, and he is completely at rest, completely at peace. So the, this criminal says, save yourself and us. Are you not the Christ? Out of verse 39. What's he saying? The first criminal, the one who's still reviling Jesus, makes a demand. And the demand is similar to a demand that we always make with God. It's difficult to be human and not make this demand of God. God, if you get me out of this situation, then I'll trust you. God, if you give me the life that I've always wanted, then I'll believe in you. If you really are God, then you'll do this thing for me. If you really are the, are the one that I should be following, if I really should uh, change my life, then, then you do this for me. 
And the problem with that is that he's, he's essentially saying, God, I'm smarter than you. And if you know what's right, if you know what's true, if you know what needs to happen, then you'll do this for me. You'll get me out of trouble. You'll give me the life that I've always wanted, and everything will be great for me. That's what he's saying. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever said anything like that to God. I once knew a, a guy who uh, went snowboarding, ended up uh, in a crevasse, upside down, hung by his, his snowboard, and made this deal with God. He ended up becoming a pastor. But I think a lot of people have made this, made this call. People who have never believed in God, all of a sudden, life comes crashing down, and they all of a sudden say, God, if you're real, you'll get me out of this trouble. If you're real, you'll do this. See, it's it, hidden in that statement is this idea that bad things wouldn't happen if God was really in control. If, 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 God, if there really was a God, then bad things wouldn't happen. The crazy thing about this God, Jesus, is that the, the worst possible thing in the world took place against him. So you're saying that like, like bad things wouldn't happen to Jesus? You're saying that you would, know, you would know better how to operate as God. You're saying that, that somehow you know better than God. And ultimately what that statement says is this. Is that I will believe that you're God if you tell me that I'm God. If you show me that I'm actually in control. If you show me that, that you will obey my every word. The problem with that is that you're saying, God, you must obey me. And God is saying, that's not the way that it works. That's not the way that it happens. It's the other way around, my friend. I'll be with you, the criminal says, if you do what I say. But we look at verse 40, and it says this. But the other rebuked him. Saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? All of a sudden, something breaks loose in this guy's mind. A realization has come to him. And it's all of a sudden like, oh my goodness, I've been wrong for my entire life. Oh my goodness, I, I'm, I'm wrong in this. And all of those viewpoints of like making demands of God. Telling God, I'll follow you if you do what I say. All of that stuff is now out the window. And now he says, don't you fear God? And why, why, does he, why does he say, don't you fear God? Now, what, what he's doing here is he's coming to this realization where he says, you know what? If he really is God, if he really is other than me, if he doesn't respond the way that I would respond, if there's ultimate grace and mercy in the statements that he makes as he's being led to his brutal and torturous death, then he must be God. And there's this realization all of a sudden of like, oh my gosh, if he's God, then I have a problem. See, the problem with humanity is that humanity doesn't see this. Humanity sees itself as, I'm a pretty good person. I, I, do, I do some nice things. I, I'm, 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 I'm nice to these people. 
and I want good things for our country, and I, and, I, and I do this, and I do that. Here's all the reasons why I should be accepted. But the fear of God says something else. The fear of God says, if he really is God, then ultimately I'm accountable to him. I have, like, I'm accountable for the way that I am, for who that I am, and what I am like, how I have lived, what, what, what the motive of my life has been. I'm accountable to him. It says in, in Romans chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 10, it says, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become wor- worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps or snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. Does that not sound like an explanation of our world today? Bitterness, anger, rage. Everyone believing that they're right, that their way is right. And then he ends this, the Apostle Paul ends this in Romans 3. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What's wrong with our world today? There is no fear of God. There's no acceptance of the reality of if he's God, then I'm accountable to him. I I have to be, I'm like, I'm accountable to him for my actions. For all the ways that I've acted, for all the ways that I've responded, for all the things that I've done. This is what comes into his mind. And, and he says immediately, there's like this theological bent to what he's saying. He's saying, man, you wouldn't say that if there was fear of God there. Like, can't you see that he is God? Can't you see it? There is no fear of God in our world when people do not accept the reality that they are accountable to God for who they are and what they've done. And then he says this, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? He says in verse 41, and we indeed justly For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. The first thing that this guy has is he has a fear of God. The second thing that he has is he has an awareness of his sin. He looks at Romans 3, 10 through 18, and he says, yes, that's true. That's true about me. And it's not just that he got into legal trouble. It's not just that he's being crucified for Uh, for perhaps being an insurrectionist, some type of criminal, a robber, that type of deal. It's not just that. It's ultimate accountability, not just to the state, but to a deity. He's immediately brought into this this setting where he says, man, like, I, I fear God all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, what happens to me is just this sense, this awareness of sin where I just go, oh my goodness, oh, oh, oh my goodness, I'm, 
I'm ruined. I'm ruined. It's what the, the prophet Isaiah says when he has this vision of God, this, this crazy vision, and he, and he sees him, and he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I am ruined, for my eyes have seen the king. To come into contact and to see the king, to see him, is to immediately brought into this reality of he is God and I'm accountable to him. And now I'm aware of all of my faults, of all of my problems, of, of everything. I once had a neighbor come over to my house one day after work. He just came, just drove up my driveway. He, he comes and he, he says, hey man, I, I got to talk to you. I said, okay. He says, uh, I had this crazy dream last night. I was like, all right. I'm not really a, a dream interpreter, but... Uh, Okay, uh, that sounds good. Um, he says, uh, I was in this dream, and I saw Jesus. And I was, I was brought to this point of just absolute desperation, of just like, just, he said, he, this, he made this gesture. I was like, oh. And he was brought to this point of, of accountability to God. He's brought to this point of feeling like so ashamed. He was feeling so lost. And, he, and, he, and he, was, he was feeling so badly about that. But then the next picture that flashed in his mind was Jesus on the cross. And then, then he made another gesture and he just goes, oh. And it was just like, oh. And I was like, what? He's like, it was like all of that was taken away. He says, what do you think it means? Holy cow, do you not know? Like, like what do you, like, I'm not a dream interpreter, but I think it means that God wants you to know that Jesus was sent on the cross to save you from all of the things that you've done. And now that you've been brought to this awareness, now you can look to Jesus. But he didn't. I don't know why. But this guy is brought into an immediate understanding. It's so quick. Do you not fear God? I am suffering justly. You are suffering justly. But this man, this Jesus, has done nothing wrong. It's an awareness of my sin, but it's also an awareness of Jesus' perfection. It's an awareness of his absolute perfection. That's why the so-called uh, liberal view of Jesus as though he was just a man. He, he, it, uh, he was human, so he would have sinned, you know, that kind of thing. is totally wrong. Because we see here, not just with him, but with other pol political officials who said, this guy's done nothing wrong. Why, 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 are you, why, are, why do you want to crucify him? But this guy's understanding is this. I am being punished justly because I'm accountable to God. This man, Jesus, God in the flesh, has done nothing wrong. And yet, he has, he has every reason to respond with insults. And he responds with grace and mercy. So what happens? And he said... And just think about this for a second. Maybe all the, the voices are kind of being drowned out. 
he can't believe he's even saying this. Something happened. Something switched. And all of a sudden, in a moment's notice, he's saying, I fear God. I'm aware of my faults. And all of a sudden, I need to look to him. Jesus, some commentators point out, he's the only one to use Jesus' name. Jesus, what does Jesus mean? You will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's calling on the name of Jesus. And he is saying, Jesus, it's this intimate moment. Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? See, the first guy made a demand. If you really, the, the first criminal made a demand. If you're really God, save yourself and us. It's a demand. It's saying, I'll be God in this relationship. You just do what I say. I'll be God in this moment. God, you do what I want. Don't let my loved one die. Don't let me lose my house. Don't let me lose my business. Don't, uh, don't let me go on forever single. Don't let me mo- lose my marriage. God, if you're really God, then you'll do this for me. See, there's lots of people in our world today that are deconstructing their faith. And they're deconstructing their faith because they never had a constructed true faith. They never had truly believed in Jesus because the way that they would answer the question, are you a Christian, is that they would answer prior to to their deconstruction. You know what? I go to church. I do this. I do that. I do the other thing. But then a moment came where they said, God, if you really are you, you wouldn't have made my life the way that I don't want it. You wouldn't have gone against my will. I'll have you if you give me the life that I want. And Jesus says, that's not the way that it works. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a request. What's the content of the request? Well, the content of the, uh, the request contains another theological point. And the theological point is this. You are the Christ, which is the Messiah, the one who can save people from their sins. You, you, you are the Christ. He's talking about his kingdom. He might be the only guy who's sitting there. I mean, we know there was disciples and, and things like that around, but he's the only guy not associated with Jesus that believes what that sign says, the king of the Jews. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, he, he says I, I'm not going to make any demands of him because I can't make demands of the king. That doesn't make any sense to walk into the office of a king and just say, if you're really the king, here's here's what I need from you. Here's what I have to have. Then I'll follow you. I'll give my life to you if you give me the life that I want. No, he makes a request. And the request is acknowledging the kingly nature of Jesus. It's glorifying Christ. It's saying, you are the king. And the thing that I need most from the king is I need mercy. 
I have to have mercy. Are you a Christian? Because, because when you answer the question and you say, you know, I'm a Christian because of all of these things that I'm doing. Are you a Christian? When, when, when you say that, man, there, there's, some, there's some part of my salvation that, that I had a role in. Because I'm just a nice person. I do nice things. When you say that, you're basically saying, I had something to do with it. And Jesus won't have it. This guy got it right. He got it right because the only thing he can ask for is mercy. He is nailed, pinned, held down. He can't do anything. He's hammered to a cross. He can't get down and help the old lady across the street. He can't be a nice person enough. He knows that moments earlier, he was not a nice person. He can literally do nothing. The only thing that he can do is ask for mercy. The only thing that he can, he can do is ask for mercy. That's, that's the only thing that, that is even possible. It's just like, I am so incapacitated. I can't do anything right. I can do no good thing that deserves salvation. The only thing that I can do is say, will you just remember me? I don't care about my life. I don't care about that stuff. I just want mercy. I just want mercy. See, here's the thing. You can't ask for mercy from this God without first God wanting to shed his mercy on you. What was God, what's God doing in this situation with this man? Why does, why does one guy get saved? Jesus is evangelistic even on the cross through his death. How does that happen? It happens because God opened up his heart and breathed life into him. And softened his heart to be able to see, no, this really is God. You're accountable to him. You've sinned against him. And the only thing that you can do is ask for mercy. See, Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus says, like, the, the reason why this guy even came to him in the first place, the, the reason why he came to him is that the father gave this criminal, this rebel, to Jesus in the first place. What does that even mean? Somehow the father says, this one I've given to you, son of God. He says in John 6, 44, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on that last day. No one can come to me. What is this guy doing? He's coming to Jesus. And he's coming to Jesus. And what he's coming to him for is he's coming to him for mercy. See, here's the problem. Is that you might be thinking, okay, 
I want to be a Christian. I see what you're saying, uh, Pastor Matt, about the fact that like, I can't base my Christianity, my, my faith in Christ on my works, my abilities, my, my desire for him, or anything like that. I see that. But I, like, like, so, so what do I got to do? And the, and the truth is, you can't do it. What has to happen is that the Father has to draw you in order to come to him. And then he's going to raise you up on the last day. See, the, what, where people get stuck on that is they say, well, man, how do I know if he's drawn me? How do I, how do I even know if he, if, if he wants me? How do, how do I know if that's, if that's what he wants from me? Like, what's, what do I got to do to be, if I can't do anything, then what do I got to do? I, like, I want to be with him. I want to be a part of him. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I don't want to make demands of God. I don't want to ask for the life that I've always wanted. I just want him. And here's the thing. He can't want that without God first drawing you to himself. You would reject it. You would reject it. Are you a Christian? Has Jesus saved you? Or do you think you saved yourself? Because the beauty of this passage is somebody who says, it's true. I have nothing to offer. And Jesus said to him, recount for a second. He's been mocking Jesus. He's made demands of Jesus. He's reviled him. He's scoffed. And this, and now, it like deathbed conversion here, like now you want my forgiveness? No, that's how you and I respond. Jesus responds differently, and he says, truly I say to you, today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. What is paradise? It's probably a garden of some sort. Do you remember in Genesis what seemed like paradise? Adam and Eve both walking around naked. Not that that's the paradise part, but they're... they're uh, they're walking around naked, just experiencing marital love and bliss without shame. Okay, enough about that. Uh, they're just walking around. They're like, you know, let's, let's eat, you know, naming the animals. And then they walk away from God by saying, I want to be like God. I want to know what's right. I want to be able to make demands of him. And paradise was lost. Now we have paradise rediscovered and the paradise is this it's not just that they're walking in a garden with the king that's huge it's that jesus makes a promise you will be with me see most of us just want the life that we want that we're demanding from god and Jesus is saying this. I gave my life so that you could just be with me. 
What do you get for following Jesus? Francis Chan asked that question. What do you get for following? Do you, do you get a good life? Do you get a restored marriage? Do you get success in business? Do your, does your crop grow the way that you want it to? Or is the price high enough for it? What do you get for following Jesus? You get Jesus. And until you and I get that, we're going to act like moronic liberals and conservatives that believe that our faith comes in the way that we vote. Until, un until we get that, we will spurn the, the mock. We, we, we don't want to be identified with Jesus because then we get mocked. But when you have Jesus, when you truly have him, you will be willing to endure even the mockery that comes from going against the grain, against all of the people, the rulers, the soldiers, everyone there. What else do you get? You get hope expressed through faith that the vilest person in opposition to Jesus can be saved. You get this hope that like, God, could God save somebody who's mocking Jesus? Could, could, would God save somebody who is, who is so opposed to him, so against him? Would God save somebody like that? He saved the thief on the cross. He awakened his heart. He took his heart of stone. He gave him a heart of flesh. All of a sudden, he realized the fear of God, his awareness of sin, and he began to glorify Christ. And so now we have this great hope that God saves sinners that are so vile, so against him, that, that, are, that are so wretched. God saves sinners. But then maybe you're, you're somebody who's here, and once you, once you realize that, and I think, I think the, the thief on the cross is just sitting there going, if he forgives them, then he can forgive me. Like, if, if, like, if he can forgive them, like, I'm with them. If he can forgive them, then he, then he can forgive me. Like, it's, it's all of a sudden this amazing joy, it's this amazing peace. That we can be saved. He can save even me. If he can save them, he can save me. But then, it also gives us confidence that even when we are mocked for our faith, God is still at work on hard hearts. Because if he can soften my heart, he can soften their heart. Men and women, first of all, are you a Christian? Has Jesus saved you? Secondly, if he has truly saved you, do you care at all about the lost in your city? In this amazing countryside, as there are hundreds, perhaps thousands throughout this area around us here, that don't know Jesus, and some of them think that they do. Some of them think that they saved themselves. Some of them still think that they can make demands of God. 
Jesus planted this church to share the true message of God's forgiveness that he will be with you. He will be with you. Give up your demands and ask for mercy. I want to invite the ushers forward as we partake of communion. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would sear this into our minds, into our hearts. Lord, that we would begin to understand you and all of your fullness, that we did not do it. You have done it to us and worship you as a result. Lord, I pray for those that have not received you yet, that are sitting here and that they're just listening. Lord, I pray that they would see themselves as a thief on a cross and say, he can save even me. It's in your name we pray, amen.